0: Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions, with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation. You can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge, I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man who has the same philosophy as changing underwear that Jay Valai has on changing jobs, do it as often as you want to, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you?
1: Uh, do it at, at uh, it in, with high visibility as well. So we we do share that that full philosophy. Keep them visible. Keep them, keep them circulating in and out. And every third one just show up naked. Now, um, yeah, yeah. Here we are. It's a new year, new me. No, Gerald, I'm doing doing wonderfully, man. It's uh it's terrible weather. I believe in Oklahoma as well as Texas. It's been cold and miserable and windy and awful. And uh, but you know. 2022 starting off with a starting off all right. I'm 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 I hope it keeps getting better every month, but it started off on a high.
0: I feel the same way. We've had a good, good start, at least uh, personally, to 2022. Uh, Texas basketball is having a rocky start to 2022, so we'll talk a little bit about that. The ladies also uh, had a had – a, 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 not as embarrassing as a football team losing to Kansas in overtime, uh, but they lost to Kansas in overtime, but they got back on track against West Virginia. Football, it's moving time for the Horns, so we'll talk about spring enrollees. Uh, we'll talk about some transfers there as well. We'll obviously down the 40, get you up on everything else going on on campus. We'll do some bird orange lenses just because there's um, some longhorns in the NFL doing some things, and we'll obviously close the show out with some bang the drum. So Texas, again has I think they've yet to win back-to-back games in conference play at least that's what it feels like to me. They really put the boots to OU, which is never a bad thing. 66 to 52 before just getting absolutely tossed by Iowa State 79 to 70. 9 points is actually it never even really felt that close, even when it was five points, it felt uh, farther apart than nine points for most of it, at least from my perspective. It just felt like one of those games where every time Texas tried to answer and battle back in, Iowa State would go on a big run or have a big play. But against OU, Texas built a 12-point lead in the first half. They cruised comfortably uh, in the second half, shot forty, almost 47% from the floor in that one. But they got to the line a whopping 20 four times in the game 15 in the second half Andrew Jones a man who seems like he takes it personally when they played OU uh, scored 22 but Texas really again we see these like proof of concept games for them where they show you the shutdown defense and they capitalize on nearly all well, uh, half of their offensive possessions and get the job done and so it was it's hard to see a game like OU after we've seen them lay eggs otherwise
1: I think that Oklahoma is probably the best win on Texas's schedule, right? Um, You know, to get a Q1 win per the the NCAA, which, you know, there's four quadrant wins, basically. The tournament cares about Q1s, Q2s, and on a tiebreaker kind of scenario, Q3s. So you really want to focus on Q1s and Q2s. right now this is not a Q1 win against OU but it is our best win on the season basically if you're in the top 30 RPI for a home game um, if it's a road game I think it could be top 50 so um, Texas really would you know be be who of the, behooved them to win uh, some of these on the road but this likely could end up if OU has a good you know close out to conference or second half uh, the season here could be but uh, you know as it stands right now this is their signature win. It is not a Q1 win, but it did show some things. I think um, Andrew Jones and uh, in, in continued it against Iowa State uh, looks like their best, their best score. Um, it, it, there'd been stretches in the season where he was a little bit quiet. He's kind of taken the six man role pretty, you know, uh, I won't say happily, but he's, he's made the best of it. Um, and, and it's. If they can get everyone else playing and keep him at this level, I think that that and getting uh, to the free throw line and and converting, you know, are, are keys that make an offense that we said you have to find an answer. And, and to their credit, you know, to, they, they found some answers. I don't think they found all the answers, uh, but you saw something in that OU game that made you feel good. And again, beating OU on your home fo- floor, you want to do that. But going on the road in the Big Twelve is is difficult. And Iowa State is a tough place to play. Everywhere in the Big Twelve is a tough place to play. So. <sighs> Maybe we just win all of our home Big Twelve games and <laughs> and and try to you know steal one or two on the road. I mean, I, I really am not sure.
0: Yeah, I mean the Big Twelve, and we've said it before, and we'll say it again. Uh, like there are other conferences that have better top ends but I think from top to bottom there's not a conference in basketball that's tougher than the Big 12 and so uh, any week they could go in and and beat somebody by 14 points and then you know the next game they lose by nine to Iowa State it was tight early but there was again one of those dry spells from Texas uh, where they went three game minutes which was like 20-ish real life (laughs) minutes is what it felt like without a field goal and that let Iowa State build a 12-point lead and that's kind of uh, where it cruised. They built as big as 15 points. Texas never got closer than five uh, throughout the rest of the game. But uh, Gabe. Cal Schuker is what I think is what it is, but anywho, the guy scored twenty two, um, which was an absolute incredible performance from him. Iowa State's legit, but also like you against anybody going three minutes without scoring a field goal is just gonna bite you in the keister.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, there's no doubt about that. I think letting Iowa State, who's not a particularly efficient offense, they are a good team. They do a lot of things well. They find ways to win, especially before the Big Twelve conference season, uh, being undefeated. They, you know, play smart basketball, good defense, make the little cuts. They seem to have cuts, backdoor cuts, all over UT, uh, especially in the first half, just whenever they wanted them. But uh, I I, I think the Texas vaunted defense didn't travel right. It didn't make its way on the road to Hilton, which is again, they are to their credit. Like the Iowa State fans will boo every chance they get they are loud they are they may be the most homer like they you know fans in in the whole country like i feel like their player could close line like wwe style they could do a two-man legion of doom clothesline on somebody and they would try to call it an offensive foul you know they they to their credit support their team blindly, right? They're not the most uh, unbiased fans, I'll say, but they just boo and they're loud and they have good momentum in, in the in the arena. It's a tough place to play. They call it Hilton Magic for a reason. Even when they weren't good, they would beat people there. So it's it's a tough... Um, it was always going to be a tough game, right? But yeah, we when... After they shut down Tanner Groves in the OU game, he said, okay, look at this defense. They shut down one of the best scorers in the Big 12, one of the best scorers in the country. If you remember back last year when he became a meme in the tournament because um, he looks like a, a mountain man or Will Ferrell in semi-pro. Grateful dead uh, deadhead. <laughs> <laughs> Um, But they, when they shut him down, he said, okay, all right, I so see they have some interior you know, teeth to this defense. And then it felt like uh, maybe Iowa State said, okay, we'll just shoot over it because Gabe Kalischer I think was like 28 from 28 from three-point line. That guy just rained him. Uh, I think he's still shooting three pointers. Every time it felt like honestly every time that Texas got like a run where it felt like, okay, here's momentum. We've got it, you know, close. They're they're about to make the make it happen. Um Iowa State hit a three every single time. One time they banked one. It's a buzzer uh, a beat from three off the you know off the top to it's, it's like that kind of stuff was was happening and that's tough. But admittedly, there's just a lot of things that Texas and have answers for. And the more concerning than the offense uh, to me in that one because they did put up seventy against Iowa State is the fact that they gave up seventy nine. Was the fact that their defense um, looked to have some holes in it that Iowa State took a lot of advantage of.
0: I think the thing for me that was frustrating was that Texas it was one of those games where they turned the ball over a bunch where it, 20 turnovers is a ton and Iowa state scored 23 points off of those. Like that is uh, that right there to me is the story of the game. Turn the ball over and Iowa state did what Texas is supposed to do uh, in this defense, in this system, take away or create turnovers and score off of every opportunity you get. And so that to me uh, was the big, uh, was the big out was the big outlier or the big reason for that. I mean, Texas had a big night from, you know, the usual suspects, Andrew Jones, Marcus Carr, Courtney Ramey. Um, but Andrew Jones was the only one that actually had a good shooting night. Like he was six of 10, uh, but Marcus Carr was four of 14. I feel like that guy couldn't throw it in the ocean at, at some points of that game. And Ramey was three of nine. Like that's not going to win you many foot that's not going to win you many basketball games or football games for that matter. Uh, but that like that to me, Again, we've said it before, we'll say it again, and I'll, I will beat this drum until uh, there's no more skin left on the top of it, but if you're going to play this slowdown style of, of offense and this limited possession style of offense, you cannot shoot that poorly and win basketball games.
1: It seems like teams have figured out how you hedge the pick and roll or how you hedge Marcus Carr and, and make him a passer instead of a scorer, and the the four, you know he did a lot of his work at the line the four shots that he made two of them were threes you know he 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 got in the lane a couple times and and didn't finish all of them but he you know he he put up a lot of shots and there was a lot of shot clocks where it got to the end and he just kind of had to heave it because he had the ball so some of that credits to Iowa State defense but yeah it was a little interesting when the offense went stagnant Chris Beard looked to be searching for answers again also because they weren't playing great defense um, and so Tristan Lincoln played 11 minutes in this game which I don't think anyone expected unless the score line was flipped the other way and then some you know no offense to him but he's a d3 guy who came here um, you know to, to kind of soak up some some culture and, and add uh you know a, a lineup where you have to have just a three-point shooter in the corner he's really an elite three-point shooter but you know he's he's a d3 level player <laughs> with that type of size and, and again i i like the kid but i don't necessarily want him in a, in a five-point game on the on the court playing 11 minutes and some of those with avery benson and, and again i'm not here to tell chris beard who the best players are but probably are two worst players on on the team, right, those are you know the two worst players at least who see the field or see the court, um you know, so it was an interesting strategy. I understand just at that point you're on the road, throw something at the wall, see what sticks, nothing's working, but it was just it was very interesting I don't want to call it desperate, but again, think about the fact that that could have been Texas's first q1 win yep they they have a lot more opportunities, and that's either a good thing or a bad thing. They win some of those great if they lose all of those, which again. So far this year, they haven't won any of those. You know, they, they, the most minimal one is probably away at TCU coming up in a couple of days. They have Rick Barnes coming. That's going to be a tough game. Um, that tech away game just seems like an absolute nightmare. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think they beat Kansas or Baylor on their home court. You know, uh, maybe, maybe they can get tech when tech is here at home. Um, you know, uh, I, I really, it's 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 interesting. I if they get three, maybe four, this year. I think from where they stand right now, that'll be a good a good spot it's just i think there is a little desperation to to get some of this on the books because you know beard's whole philosophy is play the cupcakes in the beginning you know when your conference kind of grinded out with those wins like we saw uh you know win ugly or whatever win with ou or you just come in on your home court and protect it uh whatever it is but uh you know i think he wants that road win i think he wants that signature win over a ranked opponent i think he's looking for it and you know the team's going to have to give it to him because he he can't play he can he could coach but um, they're going to have to execute the play- plan that they have with the players
0: they have. I mean, there should be some urgency. Like, they need to get some of these wins because um, you don't fire Shaka Smart to stay the same. We we have to say fire tenuously, right?
1: Have a per, have an, a handshake agreement that both people walk away happy with.
0: You you don't. Um, I'm trying to think of the way to say that because Texas didn't fire Shaka Mutually Smart.
1: decide um, to part ways. You,
0: you, 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 you realize it's not working out for both of you. You, have, you agree to sign on the irreconcilable differences line, whatever that wants to. be for them, but you don't make that change for Texas to stay the same, right? You don't do that. Um, and so this, they've got to get it buttoned up and they've got some opportunities to do so. Kansas State, uh, the day you're listening to this, Tuesday night at home before I- Oklahoma State, they get another shot at them on Saturday. On the ladies' side, Kansas came to town and won an overtime game. Stop, if you've heard that before. 70-66 uh, to 66, uh, and then dominated West of Virginia 73 to 56 good lord stop it throwing the towel they're already dead um the jayhawks are a really good offensive team that was a true test of Vic schaefer's defense and defensive philosophy and what they did um and texas battled back you know I, Kansas snapped off a, a 7-0 run at the close of the first half that really gave them a big lead. And then Texas battled back. Um, Aliyah Matharu hit a hit a three-pointer to force overtime at the end, just kind of a clutch. I think it was nine, nine seconds left on the clock. Um, but then Kansas, again, just poured it on early in um, overtime, and that was kind of all, all they wrote for it. But both teams – Turned the ball over 23 times. Kind of an ugly game, uh, but Kansas scored 18 off of those turnovers. So that is not what Vic Schaefer is going to want to see. And I'm sure film sessions uh, last week heading into West Virginia were not a fun experience for them.
1: Oh, I'm sure not. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. Kansas, I remember during the Big 12 media days, they asked uh, their coach kind of, how many languages were being spoken on the court, and and you know it's it's somewhere I think six or something like that on the, on that team. Um, there there's a lot of international play. It almost feels like a like an international like a, a league in Spain or Italy or something where you're just collecting people from around the globe and playing kind of an interesting you know uh, style. But they probably play more up tempo offensively than you would expect from from a group like that, right? Um, but they are top twenty five scoring offense, leading the Big Twelve in field goal percentage. So you knew this one would be would be a dangerous game for. Sure, um, but again, like like Gerald said, a test for Vic's defense, and uh, you know uh, the defense, I think was was okay. They weren't amazing. They, they were pretty good forcing those twenty three turnovers is, is solid. But I think on this one, uh, much like the the Texas team against Iowa State, the turnovers bite you when you also commit them, and and so uh, I think you know Kansas took advantage of it and 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 you know had those runs, those spurts. And it just wasn't Texas's game. And, and, look, they were they were on a, a losing streak at that point in, in Big 12 in conference play after the Tech loss, you know, kind of throw the, the Rio Grande Valley. So I think with that said, it became utterly imperative that they beat a West Virginia team that is under, underachieving a little bit, but I think it's still a, a, a really solid team. Um, and, and I think they were picked, like, fourth in, in the conference preseason. Um, and so, I mean – I was a little worried that that losing streak would continue. But again, like you said, I don't know if it was uh, hellfire and brimstone from Vic in the, in the film study, they came out and just looked a little bit different in that one.
0: Yeah. I mean, they were all over it, but Texas changed the starting lineup was part of a, uh, Part of the change, Uh, Mathara actually jumped into that starting lineup and she absolutely went off 26 points, uh, including 11 trips to the line. Audrey Warren came off the bench, which is something we haven't seen uh, in quite some time and scored 17. Kind of that spark off the bench. I think that might be the new philosophy for for Vic Schaefer is um, her in the start, Mathara in the starting line and um, Warren coming off the bench because it it seemed like a, um, I don't want to call it a gamble because that makes it seem like he wasn't, thoughtful with the decision, but it seemed to limit the turnovers that Texas was struggling with, and it allowed them to, again, come out and put the boots to a West Virginia team that's not good. Well, they're not great, but like they're a conference opponent, so a 20-point win is is nice to see.
1: Yeah, they're they're not ranked, but they're still a a dangerous team. I think they're still one of the, like, probably... They're in the top half of the conference I I don't think they're a bad team by any means So this is a a good win Um, Texas getting inside, getting to the line Those things are all great Looking forward, Gerald Hopefully Texas got it figured out Because five of their next six are against Top 25 uh, teams They They uh, this week, tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, uh, we'll head to Ames. Uh, we know that's a fun thing to do on Wednesday, and then uh, Fort Worth on Saturday. Iowa State in Ames, waiting for them, is number nine currently. Uh, then they uh, are they play number twenty five Kansas State, number twenty three Oklahoma, and number fourteen Baylor in back to back games because of the COVID reschedule February fourth and sixth. So they get one reprieve. The Fort Worth trip uh basically otherwise they're they're playing top 25 teams uh for the rest of the month and start of the next so it's it, this is a stretch for coach Vic. i think they will they will learn something about this team because this is this is similar to a tournament run right here where you have to be on every every game and uh and you're gonna have deadly opponents every
0: night the big 12 where basketball is made So on the football side of things, big week for the football team, classes resume on Tuesday following the MLK Day holiday, and all of the early enrollees and currently announced transfers are... On campus, uh, Quinn Ewers, who's not technically an early enrollee, but would have been if he was hadn't reclassified and gone to Ohio State. Again, it's still super weird. Uh, his on-campus, Ryan Watts, cornerback transfer from Ohio State. Malik Murphy, uh, running back Jaden Blue, uh, Jeray Bledsoe. Uh, Justice Finkley, Aaron Bryant, Terrence Brooks, Brian Allen, Larry Turner Gooden, and Jordan Thomas, a guy who was a 21 enrollee uh, but had some family and personal issues, stepped away for last year, but is back in the fold. And it's it's good to see them on campus, and again, uh, we're already drinking the Kool-Aid. But Kyle, as we as we look at these guys coming onto campus, who do you think, and we talked about this a little bit already in, in our signing day previews, and our signing day recap. So go back and listen to that if you want to. But you know, of these of these players that are on campus already, who do you think need? Who do you think Texas can can take the next step and fill a role for Texas if they have the the spring that they should?
1: What is under low hanging fruit? Is it like f- subterranean fruit? Fruit that's underneath it's, the earth?
0: It's fruit on the ground already, right? Fruit that's fallen off the tree.
1: Right. So like, if you're, if you're in, in the jungle and you're an animal and don't want to climb and you're lazy, you just walk up to the fruit, hope it's not rotten, but the fruit sitting on the ground, that fruit, uh, that I'm referring to is of course, Quinn Ewers on this list is, is the number one, right? He's, he, I don't need for anyone who's ever listened to this podcast to, to recap or sum up the importance that he can and will and should play, uh, this season and in the coming seasons, right? Uh, his, his early enrollee is a little bit different than, than others. He's, I guess, you know, technically kind of an early enrollee reclassified anyway so coming from ohio state uh, I, there's some there's some other interesting names in here and i think again am i, am I cheating if i just hit the the <laughs> guys who have played college football before because i think the other guy who's coming with him uh not necessarily a package deal but who's also made the trip back from uh columbus ryan watts who's a cornerback who who you know could play a little safety he's a guy who has some experience who knows how to get uh, turnovers who can slot in and, and instantly have kind of a, a spot where Josh Thompson left and he could he could just kind of man that. Uh, that could be his. Uh, we'll see. So the, the, the speed that he gets uh, gets up to in that secondary uh, could be really interesting for me. Again, that's that's cheating a little bit because I picked the two guys <laughs> who have some college experience. But for me, it's two of the, the most key kind of positions of need where you have impact guys who could be, you know, some of the better if you know two of the better players on the team and, and certainly on the respective units
0: yeah and i think that's that's fair and i think you know the other cornerback that's joining the team currently uh terrence brooks who was a massive flip from ohio state again keeping the theme going i think he and watts could be the the starting bookends on that in that secondary corner That that was a big need for Texas was that, was that back end of the defense. And so I think Brooks is the guy who could come in and if he can acclimate to the speed of the game pretty quickly, he can definitely be a player for Texas. Another guy who I think uh, has an opportunity is justice Finley. I think, the, the defensive line, especially at the edge position, Texas was going hard after some edge transfer options um, that didn't pan out, and there may be one still coming from TCU. We'll talk about that when Gary Patterson decides to officially announce that he's part of the staff. Gary, you're in coaches' meetings. Just let just, just do it. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Justice Finkley, and he's a guy who – you know he's 18, but he looks like he already has his grown man body. Um, like not yeah. a grown man face. Like the mustache needs some work. He's still very baby faced. Um, <laughs> but but if you ju- if you just isolate from like the neck down, you're like that guy. That guy is a bouncer and could slap my sister, and and I wouldn't have anything to say about it because he'd beat me up. <laughs> like he's just got his grown man body already. And so if he can again acclimate to the game pretty quickly and continue to develop an already pretty impressive physique, he can really step in and, and be a contributor for Texas because the the edge was a problem last year. and so he's a guy who I think could have an opportunity. He's a guy that again, you go into Alabama and get a player that has an Alabama offer, that's got to say something about him. And, and um, Jordan Thomas, again, he's been away from the game for a year, but I think he's a guy who I was very excited about last year. Um, not just because he's from Port Arthur and loves Pimp C, but because he also is just a guy who can play edge and, and help Texas really um, shore up a position that I think is almost a linchpin of this defensive group.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, I like that a lot, actually, both of those, I think, yeah. Finkley is interesting because you're right. Like uh, without the the face that, that Byron Murphy the second had, um, that that also looked like a grown man. He plays his high school tape. He looks like you know a 23 year old playing out there against uh, against high school players and all the all star games he's played in. He's looked just like he's ready made. So whether it's you know week one. Or week two when Alabama comes, or it's a little later in the season. I think you will see something from uh, from Finkley this year. But yeah, I, I will be curious. Maybe there's a name on here we're not thinking of. I, a guy I don't know that he'll contribute because the position group is so good ahead of him. Um, but I am just excited to see nonetheless. Is Jaden Blue, yeah. um, a person who I think by the time he leaves Texas, you know, has a chance to to really. Have his name where everyone knows it. A guy who, right now, if people know his name. It's it's maybe for notoriety because he opted out, and and certain people didn't like that, and and tanked his ranking, be, you know, because of it. Which rankings are not important uh, in Girls in the fun. long run. <laughs> In the long run, but, you know, nonetheless, hopefully we'll have a chip on his shoulder and something to prove. And again, it's going to be hard to crack that running back room because I think Jonathan Brooks, Gerald's uh, absolute spot on evaluation when that kid was in high school is just... Um, you know, ready to step up and and soak up any carries that are available. I think, obviously, Bijan Roshan and Keelan, you just have so much talent. But, hey, man, if it's not this year, I just want to see Jaden Blue in the field. I want to see some of that electricity. I want to see him either on special teams. I just want to see what he's got because I think he's got a lot to offer.
0: I mean, he's got a year to get his body right and to get ready for the, for the college game. I think you'll see. Bijan and Roshan and Keelan all gone after this year and so it's it'll be the it'll be the Brooks and Blue show next year redshirt sophomore and redshirt freshman likely for those two but another player coming to campus who will hopefully will be an instant contributor uh tight Jaleel Billingsley um who had a Good 2020 under Sarkeesian, uh, but did not see the field much in 2021 for off the field reasons. Announced that he is transferring from Texas to Alabama. He did the the thing where uh, it was funny. He, he hadn't announced that he was committing, but he was visiting Friday through Sunday, and I was like, well, if you're gonna be there on Sunday, you're probably just moving into the dorms with everybody else. But that's either here nor there. Texas needs to replace Cade Brewer and Jared Wiley. The only um, they the two guys with significant catches from that tight end room. Cade Brewer is graduating. Jared Wiley announced that he's transferring to TCU. And so they've got coming back Gunnar Helm, who – didn't play a ton, but I think has a lot of upside. Braden Lybrock, again, shut down with injury, but has a very high upside. People want to see a lot from him. I'm a huge fan of Juan Davis. I think Juan Davis has a lot of LJ Humphrey to him, but again, we forgot haven't seen much from him. And then Jatavian Sanders, the all-world high school player that seemingly needed some extra time to adjust to the position playing offense rather than defense. Collectively, that group has three catches for 11 yards. So Billingsley has an opportunity to jump in and really be a guy um, in Jeff Bank his room uh, in, a, in a system with a coaching staff that he's already familiar with
1: yeah absolutely i think this could be a huge one he was a guy who was a break, like you said a good 2020 a breakout candidate uh in 2021 had a you know what would have by texas tight end standards been a solid year but for him certainly uh a bit of a disappointment from where it seemed like he could be heading uh but really thrive under Sark. i think you know 256 yards and three touchdowns is an absolute floor uh for what he should expect this year like you said young room um he should have the opportunity to come through with I guess probably the most collegiate experience certainly in that unit and, and again just a, a monster of an upside uh, and so should look likely to, to secure one of the the two uh starting spots there it'll be curious who you know steps up uh, beside him as if we're in 12 personnel like we think we will be uh, a good chunk but uh yeah I, I think this is, this is an all-gas, ga- all no-breaks kind of pick. This is a, a Bama guy who, you know, it wasn't just a Bama kid who committed to play for Sark. He's a guy who Sark got him the ball, and you saw him look dangerous. You know, so he's a tight end who can outrun safeties some cornerbacks you know he's got speed uh he has size um he you know he can block well enough that he gets on the field and and some texas tight ends who've had the other side of it never really got that part of it and that kept them off the field so uh i think all of that just goes to say that you expect to hear a lot of his name and uh and you know a lot of him in in some some sark packages because it's a it's a mismatch uh advantage that he can he can scheme up and and Kind of matchup hunt to really do some things with him.
0: Yeah, well, and Sark talked about it a lot early, is that he's he wants to a lot of these guys to play positionless. And so I think you'll see him flexed out a little bit, playing a little bit more receiver. But again, I think the big question for a lot of a lot of what Texas needs for the tight end and why a guy like Jatavian Sanders didn't play this year is like, can you block? Because that's also a thing. Texas plays a ton of 12 personnel, and when you've got Bijan John Robinson, you're going to run the ball, and you, you need your tight ends to be able to block. And so can he do that? He doesn't show a ton of it uh, in his time at Alabama, but I think you've got an opportunity to, to do it and step up and be the guy for Texas. Somebody who is already the guy for Texas, Xavier Worthy, named very deservedly so the Football Writers Association of America Freshman All-American, the first one from the Longhorns uh, in three years since Caden Stearns in 2018. And then finally, we don't know exactly what it will look like, but the spring game will be set for April 23rd. So we'll have, leading up to that, we'll do our usual kind of position previews, what we want to see from folks. We'll drop some Thursday shows to see what we need to do there. But we're excited that football is heading back, and I can't wait for that first practice video so I can drink all of the Kool-Aid.
1: Oh, I love an off-season hype video. I'm a sucker for it. Uh, can't wait. This will be exciting. I think uh, baseball has a Baylor series at home that weekend as well. So good one to head out to if you're in Austin traveling for. If you're in Austin, if you feel comfortable and safe uh, with what's going on uh, health-wise, then, then it would be a great uh, week to be weekend to be in Austin. And can't wait to see a lot of those kids we just named and, uh, and some others who are on the roster who are hoping and, and looking to break out.
0: So now's the part of the show where we check out all the other action going on on campus and we down the 40. We'll start with tennis. Number one, women's tennis uh, began their national title defense, uh, At the Miami Invitational, hosted by number 24 uh, Hurricane squad, there. It also uh, featured number 8 NC State and Vanderbilt as well. It won't count for the win loss record because it was a self scored event, but Texas is looking strong once again and hoping to continue their 24-match win streak that dates back to last year.
1: That's right. Peyton Stearns looked like she had <laughs> during the offseason in I- ITA. She'd done some stuff in singles. She went 3-0 and in singles, including a win over the number 8 player uh, in the country, Jada Daniels. Kyla, uh, Kylie Collins also went 3-0 and uh, in singles with uh, all three of those over nationally ranked uh, opponents. So this was a good good start um, this counts the tennis scoring is, is a bit different this is not a preseason uh, of course it counts but it does not count towards the team win loss but uh, you know a, a good strong opener basically to lead into the the uh, dual match play starting next week
0: on the men's side number three. Opened the dual match play season with a win over UTSA six one before falling to defending national championship Florida took him to the limit though four to three Texas won at the one two and four spots but the Gators were just too much for Texas and again that will be Texas will be in these types of matches and, and challenging for um, the number one spot for the rest of the year.
1: Florida-Texas has become a really interesting tennis rivalry. Um, that's This is their fifth meeting since 2019 with both ranked in the top five. Texas holds the edge in those three to two. Um, but the past two national champions, because there wasn't one in 2020, in 19 it was Texas. Texas beat Florida in the semis. In 21 it was Florida. They beat Texas in the semis. So they haven't met in a national championship game, but they both have a lot to say uh, about the conversation. Just wanted to point out Elliot Spazieri beat last season's singles national champion Sam Riffis at number one single so that's a good sign when your number one beats the guy who beat everyone else's number one, I think is And for a big year, uh, Micah Braswell would be any other team in the country, almost number one. Um, he won the number two singles. Um, and then a, a couple, uh, players who, who just, you know, if you're following tennis, you, you obviously know, but to keep your, your ear out for uh, Notre Dame grad chance Richard Ciamara, um, beat 107th ranked, uh, at number four. And, um, uh, the freshman from, we talked about him from Belgium, who's an international star already, uh, Pierre-Yves billy I believe. I'm butchering stuff. that. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> fell to the number two uh, ranked singles player in the country, Ben Shelton, but gave him a lot uh, there. So you basically have four, uh, three to four number ones on this Texas team. I think um, they will give every team in the country, including this Florida team, if they see him again, all that they can handle. So uh, this looks like a, a team that should be looking at, uh, looking at final four and then some
0: Kyle, you're getting all accented names for the remainder of this podcast, however long it goes. You've just done that to I'll take it to yourself on the track. The indoor track season is upon us. The Texas men at the Clemson invitational registered the fourth fastest four by four in school history. They ran uh, 1600 meter, granted again, it's divided up by four people, but they did that in just three minutes, which is, uh, just absolutely incredible and, and super jealous and that's that's okay uh, but Jonathan Jones <laughs> um, Matt Norchie, Willington Wright and Brian Heron uh, took Texas to the win the B squad um, finished 5th which again you have th- 2 of the top 5, 40% feels good um, friend of the show Trip Papiri won the men's shot put with a distance of 20.71 meters which if you don't like metric 60 Seven, almost 68, about a tenth of an inch shy of 68 feet through a medium-sized rock that far. Uh, (laughs) Jalil Brewer uh, made his Texas debut with a a uh, 61-and-a-half-foot throw and uh, Patrick Papiri, the younger brother, and... Leo Nugebauer uh, also finished in the top ten. On the ladies side, they also had some top ten finishes in the shot put. Uh, Marilyn Wara finished fifth. She threw it fifty feet. Um Keanu Lowry and Crystal Harrapin finished eighth and tenth. Yeah,
1: there there was some uh, there were some good performances all around. This is uh, this is a Texas team that uh, was one of the best indoor and outdoor Honestly, but indoor uh, teams in, in the country last year um, Indoor national Champion contenders again This year, uh, so you like to see uh, It'll be hard to replace the Jumps uh, with uh, with. Tara Davis gone, but some good jumpers uh, showing, making uh, some strong showings. You have the kind of familiar names: uh, Kennedy Filanell, I think, had a second place. Um, Jonathan Jones won the 600 on the men's side. There was a lot of a lot of good stuff to start the season, and I think again, this is a team that will will get their stride. Um, there there's some new faces here, uh, but also again, when you bring back. A couple Papiris, uh, including the, the All American older brother, uh, you're always going to be anchored with some some points from the big fellas.
0: If there's another Papiri, we need to get the Papiri pipeline coming down to Austin. The Perry pipeline. The Pit Perry pipeline. Next up for track and field will be the uh, Red Raider Open in a week, in well, actually four days from now, this weekend, uh, in Lubbock.
1: All right, Gerald. So now let's uh, let's take a look at the world through some burnt orange lenses. Let's let's uh, take a look at the former Longhorns playing on Sundays. Gerald, fourteen Longhorns on playoff rosters, looking to keep Texas a streak of sixteen straight Super Bowl uh, appearances by Longhorns. That's the the school record, sixteen straight. Here are the guys who have a chance to do that. Um, Playing right now as we record this are the Arizona Cardinals, uh, Jordan Hicks and Colt McCoy. Uh, The others have have finished this week, and we know who's going on and who isn't. Uh, The Cincinnati Bengals would technically, too, I'm going to throw Joseph Osai in there, even though he got hurt before the season. Uh, But Trey Hopkins, who started all year in line for them uh, with the Bengals, got a W, so they'll be moving on. Joe Burrow's doing some things, man. The San Francisco 49ers beat Dallas Cowboys, I'm sure many of our – we have some overlap, I'm sure, with Cowboys fans and Longhorns fans, so uh, condolences for the memes. Uh, oh, man, were there Dallas Cowboys memes? Uh, but Connor Williams on the Cowboys will be going home. Kyle Shanahan, special teams coordinator Richard Hightower, and Charles Amenahu, who came in for a Bosa and, and got a sack on Dak, uh, will be moving on to the next round. Alex Okafor, Chiefs moving on, looking to get his third Super Bowl – Adrian Phillips uh, going home with the Patriots taking an L. Son Ridgeway and the Eagles also going home. And then a couple guys on bye who will be playing next week. Uh, Dante Foreman, Marcus Johnson, and Jeff all on the offensive side of the ball for the Titans. Uh, And the Green Bay Packers. I forgot they had a Longhorn representation there with Defensive Backs Coach Jerry Gray.
0: Colt McCoy currently trending on Twitter, as you and I are recording, because Kyler Murray has a single-digit quarterback rating in this game, and fans are clamoring for him to get the hook, and for Cliff to do something that he really should do, is is win with a longhorn. <laughs> win with a longhorn over a Sooner, and it'll always, it'll always get better for you.
1: Keeping it uh, on the football field, a couple guys whose seasons have ended, uh, but were recognized for a great one. Devin DuVernay, uh, we, we mentioned, uh, an all pro Justin Tucker and all pro, uh, by AP and then NFL.com named Michael Dixon, first team all pro. They all joined Conrad Diggs, who was a pro bowl roster, uh, before his injury. And the final piece of news, Texas volleyball hired Jordan Lawson as an assistant coach. If you watched in the Olympics, you definitely recognize her. She was the captain of the women's first team to take home gold in the Olympics, uh, indoor. Uh, and so, So she's a three-time Olympic medalist, first-time gold medalist, because that's their first one, captain uh, of this team, named the tournament's MVP and best outside hitter. Uh, Three-time All-American during her time at Nebraska, 05-08, member of that 06 national championship team. Those were the good Big 12 Nebraska versus Texas winner of the Big 12, won the national championship days of volleyball. She replaces Tanya Johnson, who became the head coach at LSU. All right, Gerald, let's wrap it up with some Godzilla-tron. What have you been watching on your giant screen?
0: So um, my wife and I, we didn't get a chance to check out Eternals in the theaters. So I had a two-week-old baby at that point, and so we were not just going to go to the movie theater. So I did Disney Plus last week, and she and I checked it out, and we both came to the same consensus that it was like it felt like two different movies. Like the first half was not good, and then the second half was actually pretty decent and interesting. I would have loved to see that as like a series on Disney Plus. There was just so much like – complex and convoluted, weird Marvel backstory stuff that they tried to cram into like an hour of that movie. We paused it an hour in because the baby woke up. We're like, holy Moses, we have we still have like an hour and a half of this movie left to go. Um, so it, it could have been a really great like 10 episode like limited series. And I think it could have been cool. There's I was talking to somebody about it on Twitter. If you're into that thing, just check it out. But I'm also watching Book of Boba Fett on Disney Plus because I'm a nerd. Uh, and then I went finished my rewatch of Daredevil Season 3. Still holds up. And I will say it's probably the best Marvel TV series that – we've gotten so if that's your thing check it out
1: all right i i watched harry potter i told this last week but i finished it up we did the marathon of all seven movies um i guess no is it seven and 0.5 because they split the last one in half so eight movies and then reunion is like two hours so nine movies <laughs> but it was all good it, it was great i was actually sad to be done the reunion was great a little misty-eyed um watching it it was it was fantastic um you know, it may just may just inspire me to go back and read the books one day. It seems like a lot of pages, but um, great. I got to the point you mentioned, Gerald, where they looked back at all the people who uh, who no longer were with us, who started that series. Just the the iconic actors. Uh, who who were in that film, male and female, who are no longer uh, with us uh, anymore. It's kind of kind of sad, you know, just to think about the talent that was lost, but also the talent that signed up for, for a children's movie nominally. Uh, fantastic. So yeah, uh, I'm, I'm ready for my next, I haven't decided what's coming up next, but by next week when we record this show, I should have some good new shows for everybody.
0: The Alan Rickman one, is it just was a straight gut punch. I was not prepared for yep. that emotionally. Got me.
1: Yep, yep. 100%.
0: But now it's a part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week?
1: I wouldn't be fair to the Longhorns who didn't make the playoffs to not give them a little shine as well, so I'm finishing out the Longhorns in the NFL here as my bang the drum. <laughs> I want to give special, special shout-out to the offensive lineman who started all over, Calvin Anderson. uh had three starts this year for the Broncos uh, and he was the low end of the offensive line. Uh, Sam Cosme started nine uh, before uh, getting hurt or hadn't had an injury in there. So started every game. He wasn't hurt as a uh, rookie, which is incredible. Um, Shout out to uh, the other uh, beef that we have going on here. Obviously we talked about Trey Hopkins already, but uh, started 15 games this year. Offensive line, offensive line just so hard to stay healthy, but just, just some good performances all around from those guys. Connor Williams uh, started 14 of the 17 games for those Dallas Cowboys. Um, we talked about the special teams guys with with Tucker and Dixon and Doove. Uh Just Texas becoming special teams. You're not necessarily what I saw coming, but I love it. Um, and and that doesn't count Andrew Beck, who's the special teams ace for the you know for the both punt. Uh, kick kick return. He's all over for the Broncos. I believe Swain does some special teams for the Titans. So a lot of special team contributors who do excellent there. Adrian Phillips had another really solid year. He was an NFL player of the week, one week, uh, at seventy-seven tackles, nine pass deflections, four interceptions, one touchdown return, and one forced fumble. Um, he was only, you know, outdone by a, a guy who made the Pro Bowl, right, and Quandre Diggs, who was, uh, you know, just in, incredible with uh, eighty-two tackles, seven pass deflections, five interceptions himself. Deshaun Elliott was off to a good start before he, uh, got hurt this year. Um, played in six games, but had uh, sack two pass deflections interception 22 tackles uh was was doing some things for that poor poor baltimore team that just kept getting hurt at every uh turn and then both malcolm browns played this year one of them started 17 games in the interior of the line 51 tackles two sacks for him my my favorite end to the season was Pune ford gerald Pune had uh, started all 17 games obviously 49 tackles. Uh, two sacks and and a pass breakup. Do you know how many sacks of his two sacks that Puna had in Week 18? No clue. One and a half. He uh he finished strong with uh he came in with half a sack, left the the season uh total at, at two. So so good for our guy uh, Puna. Um, we mentioned Duvernay as a punt returner. He also uh did pretty well in the receptions, 33 uh, for 272 and two scores um so you know well-rounded they're growing into everything he's got going there chris boyd actually played quite a decent amount um started i think a couple games for the the vikings um you know good to see him still landing uh don Foreman, we mentioned if he had a full season would have really put one together had three starts ended up with 566 yards on 133 carries and three touchdowns so kind of extrapolate that out it looks like he is in the right trajectory for what's coming next for him whether it's with uh, the titans once henry comes back or someone else comes Uh, a call in tq uh got five starts as a rookie so good for him uh with the falcons marquise goodwin keeps chugging along 20 catches uh 313 yards not the elite season maybe he envisioned but uh, he's still out there little jordan humphrey a guy who got it going in a couple games four starts on the season 249 yards and two tds and then jordan hicks Started all 17 games, 103 tackles. Yet again, over 100 tackles, just a machine. Four sacks, five pass breakups, one forced fumble, two fumble recoveries. Kind of just did everything for that defense, um, so a really solid year. And then the final one, Gerald, who I'm going to talk about, there's a couple who had you know, a little bit of stats. I, I won't uh, drain the entire ocean here of, of every piece, but the last one that I wanted to give a little shine to was your guy on your team, Mr. Brandon Jones uh started 13 games played in 15 uh, missed a couple due to injury but 71 tackles five sacks one pass breakup one interception one forced fumble two fumble recoveries his five sacks led all defensive backs in the nfl this year rookie or uh veteran uh just a guy who uh is really growing in in his second year uh with the dolphins is really growing into uh, a role and i think has a bright bright future
0: the Dolphins are a sore spot for me right now because I'm still kind of kind of pissy about the, Fair enough. the floor is higher, but or the floor is fire. Fair enough, um, but he, I mean, Brandon Jones is going to be a playmaker, and I think whoever they get to replace a coach who swept the Patriots for the first time in two decades um, is getting a good defensive unit. Hopefully, they can get a good offensive line in front of whoever they decide is going to play their quarterback, uh, so they can hopefully not fire the next guy unnecessarily, I was going to say, and I'm banging the drum this week on <laughs> uh, hypocrisy at the coaching level. So according to on three sports, Kerry Combs, the former defensive coordinator, at Ohio state who had his play calling duties stripped and or revoked mid season would not take a demotion to be a position coach and is therefore out at Ohio state conveniently, you know, a couple of weeks after early signing day. Ryan Day stood and said with his full chest how shocked and upset he was that Terrence Brooks would have the audacity to flip and not give them any warning. And then you go ahead and let your defensive coordinator go a month after early signing day. Hey, guess what, Ryan? You're a hypocrite. Let all those kids out of the letters of intent if you really want to say that with your chest because I'm sure that even though they may have seen the rumblings, they didn't know that the guy that recruited them on the defensive side of the ball wasn't going to be there. So if you're going to stand up there and take shots at an 18-year-old doing what's best for him, then let all those kids get out of their letters of intent if they want to. Act like a grown man. Quit taking shots at kids and don't fire your coach a couple weeks after signing day.
1: Yeah, and let Brian Hartline go, too, if you're going to do all that. Get rid
0: that. of that guy. Get rid of him. <laughs> Send him to Texas so I can fight him. It's on site. <laughs> he beat me up. It's fine. That's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet?
1: You can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pre-Gamer at Texas Pre-Gamer.
0: You can follow me on Twitter I'm at G H Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at... Longhorn Pod, Facebook and Instagram, The Longhorn Republic. Shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, welcome. Welcome.
1: Rest in peace, uh, Sharon. Thanks.